Hey, welcome to The Michelle Mission, two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Tribble. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are concluding our tribute to black sci-fi and Afrofuturism by looking at 2018's Sorry to Bother You by director and hip-hopper Boots Riley and starring Lakeith Stansfield and Tessa Thompson in Vince's selection for this stop on the Me Show mission. But first, as always, we like to thank each and every one of you that enjoys our show and likes and follows us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Me Show Mission, as well as emails us at Mission at gmail.com and our members of our Facebook group, Me Show Mission, where there are more than a couple of post events. In regards to a new film, a very short film, that Donald Glover did yeah. with Rihanna yeah. called Guava Island. Yeah. Um, Donald Glover's new film, Guava Island, takes viewers on a journey to Cuba that reveals music's power to influence social change. With Rihanna co-starring as his girlfriend, Kofi, Donald Glover plays Denny Maroon, a beloved local musician who gives people a sense that they're worth more than the hard labor jobs their government pushes. Have you uh, seen Guava Island? I actually haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet. I have not either. Yeah, it's very much on the short list of things that I'm going to watch, though. That's pretty cool yeah, that it, they, you know. Yeah, it's gotten mixed reviews, but I trust Donald Glover. It probably is, it, it, you know, I trust him that it's going to be about something. Exactly. You know, and it's one of those things where you, you don't don't stick the landing, but, you know, God bless him, he, he took his shot. Exactly. So shout out to him for that. Um, Robert Monroe posted. Hey, what's up, Robert? Uh, uh, a link from a story from Shadow and Act. Our friends at Shadow and Act. Yes, yes. List that the Lady and the Tramp live action film will star Tessa Thompson, Kiersey Clemens, and Janelle Monet. I saw that. Interesting. What does interesting mean, Lynn? That's my word. Why do you call it interesting? <laughs> I have absolutely no care about the lady intro. Of all... Okay, Disney... We've talked about this on Black Tribbles maybe here a couple of times as well. Disney is in the midst of redoing a lot of their animated classics. Oh, that's a very polite way to put it. <laughs> How would you put it? I call it a soulless money grab. <laughs> Not all of them have been soulless. Mind you, I can only speak of one, which was the Jungle Book. I was about to say, you just liked the Jungle Book. It was good. It really was good. Imagine if they had taken all of that talent and applied it to something original. Which is how I feel about this Lady in the Tramp cast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, does this make you feel at least a little bit better, Vince? The live-action Lady in the Tramp 
is actually headed for their Disney Plus streaming service. So this is not going to be put out. Sure, sure. In the world, like as a feature film, right? It's going to be an original movie for I, the streaming. Yeah, service. I know. I don't. I mean, that's not something that would sell me on Disney Disney Plus. But there's a fair amount of stuff that is tempting me to go Disney Plus. There is because they like they came real hard, real hard. They announced like a whole slate of Marvel yeah. stuff, live action and animated, and animated. Because it's honestly the live action Marvel stuff that they they announced. Like there's a whole WandaVision show, yeah. a Hawkeye show, a Loki show. I could take a leave them, um, but the animated What If? I'm actually curious about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That doesn't do anything for yeah. me. But you had animated What If. That that interests me. The fact that they say that most of their historical I was about films to say they're opening up the vault. Are, are going to be on there. And the number one thing that interests me and got me curious, because Disney may be realizing that, yes, they do, in fact, have all of the money. Yeah, this service is only going to cost. I know seventy dollars a year. I know. That's, that's here's a question because you didn't mention this. Are you a Star Wars guy? I like Star Wars. I'm, I don't. But I don't. You didn't mention any of the Star Wars projects. Well, because they don't interest me. Because my. My interest in Star Wars is strictly on the movies. Okay. Like, I never I never watched a lick of any of the animated series. I heard some of them were good. Some um, some of them were like, whatever. Um, I never read any of the books. I never read any of the comic books. The movies are what interests me. Boy, that's me. funny. We have that in common. Really? Like, that's something we actually, yeah. Some, something else we have in common. I was about to say this. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a... I'm not a Star Wars, but you know everyone that I've had the conversation about Disney Plus, they usually start with the Star Wars stuff. Really? Wow. So I was, I was, I was. See, like, but we're comic book guys. We're comic book guys. So we're starting with the Marvel. Starting stuff. with the Marvel stuff. And then the, but then they're like, and I am interested in the Vault. Like, like I'm I, interested in the like, vault like too. I do believe a lot of the stuff over the past five, six years are soulless money grabs, <laughs> except for the Jungle Book. Except for the Jungle Book, which was a soulless money grab, <laughs> but you liked it. But I'm, you know, I'm I'm very much a fan of of Disney's historical output. Oh yeah, and then so, all the Pixar movies are going to be yeah, there, and yeah, all the so, Pixar shorts, right? So it's it's very very tempting. Yes, but yes, Lady and the Tramp. The Lady with, and the Tramp would not. It's not <laughs> an extraordinary cast that they're using for a live action version of Lady and the Tramp. Well, they're going to be doing the voices. Sure, why not? They're going to be doing the voice. Here's the thing, though. Here's the here's the messed up part. Like when you saw the Jungle Book, which is the you know quote unquote live action because it really is CG, right? All yeah. except for one kid. Yeah. Um. Uh. When you saw that made into what they made it, even though they were more, you know, realistic, the the animal characters, yes, they still very much embodied the the, the animated. Um, characters in okay. some type of way, it's kind of in, in in their movements and stuff like that, right? Okay. With Lady and the Tramp, at least going off of the images that I see, like these dogs aren't even cute. Yeah, it's just 
First of all, how many people have tuned out of the Michelle mission because we're going on and on about Disney? Oh, I thought you were going to say Lady and the Tramp because I was tuning out about Lady and the Tramp. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, then I'll move on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Congratulations to these three young women, though. You you know, these three young actresses and artists that, that I like work that all three of them have done. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, we'll talk about Tessa Thompson tonight. Yes, we so, will. So, you know, make that money, sisters. I ain't never mad at nobody making that Disney money. No, no. The Criterion Collection is releasing a new edition of Do the Right Thing. I saw that. Did you see that? Notes? I don't know. I, I can't. I haven't really looked to see what the difference is between the old version that mm-hmm. they released. But I don't have it on Blu-ray, so maybe I'll pick up a Blu-ray. Then they're probably going to do, um, I would imagine... Like some new updated documentaries. I hope so. And, and stuff I like that. I certainly hope so. Um, they say here, I'm looking that because this is going to be, it's not going to be released till July. Right. And there's, they say that it's going to have an audio commentary from 1995. Right. Which is on the other one. Right. Um, something from Roger Ebert. Something from Roger Ebert. Yeah, which is on the other one. Uh, new interviews with Ruth Carter. Boom. There it is. There Sold. You go. There you go. Sold. Plus an essay by critic uh, uh, Vincent Cunningham. Oh, okay. And extensive excerpts from the journal that Spike Lee kept during the preparation for and production of the film. Yeah. So they're going to have some good stuff on mm-hmm. there. Sounds pretty dope. Sounds pretty dope. Uh, are you going to get? To, we're talking about streaming streaming services. Are you going to um, subscribe to the Criterion Channel when that pops? I don't know. The answer is maybe. Really? Yeah. The answer is maybe. You, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll look into it, but but I'm certainly interested in it because although Criterion and I have a complicated relationship. <laughs> Part of the reason it's complicated is because I care about what they do so much. So, gotcha. Uh, let's see. The Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, yeah. is the first individual uh, woman that's to right. earn a special citation prize, the posthumous Pulitzer Prize. That's right. Since the honor was first awarded in 1930. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's really dope. Yeah, and talking about shortlist, the the documentary is out. Yeah, Amazing Grace. Yeah, Amazing Grace is out, and I just haven't been able to put it together, mm-hmm. you know, for me and the wife to get there and see it. But you know, it's it's getting extraordinary reviews. Yeah, it's like um, it's well, it, it is what it is. It's a time capsule. Yeah, because what it really is, it's more or less a concert film. Yes, yeah, absolutely. You know, even though it's her, her recording of that. Uh, the Pulitzer Board most recently awarded a special citation prize in 2010 to Hank Williams. Okay, very nice. Uh, they said that the award was given to Aretha Franklin for her indelible contribution to American music and culture for more than five decades. Absolutely. The superstar singer was also the first woman inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when she entered that prestigious organization in 1987. Franklin's inclusion into is into the ex- exclusive club reconfirms the impact her music and voice had and continues to have on the world. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. 
every accolade that we can give Aretha Franklin is well deserved. Mm-hmm. So good on you, girl. Absolutely. Very happy for Queen you. forever. Yes. Uh, there was also IndieWire issued out. This is the last little story I'll, I'll, I'll plug here. And, uh, <clears throat> and it was posted to our Facebook group. A story about the film Best of Enemies. The, the film that uh, with Taraji P. Henson. Oh, Lord. Hopefully this is the last time we talk about this. Thing. <laughs> the best, of, according to IndieWire, the Best of Enemies is the latest proof oh. Hollywood needs a better approach to stories about the civil rights era. Hollywood has a history of getting things wrong about race. Here's the thing. Do they? These films make money and they win awards. Yeah, but that doesn't mean the movies aren't wrong. No, 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 no. But if you're Hollywood and you're churning out this stuff mm-hmm. to make money and win awards, this is what really what we need is a turnover of the audience. I think once we as an audience demand better, Hollywood will have no choice but to listen. But well, I mean, the best of enemies was not is not doing well in the box office. Right. Movie starring Taraji P. Henson and Sam Rockwell that's based on the real story of uh, unlikely partnering of outspoken civil rights activist oh, Ann Atwater and C.P. Ellis, a local Ku Klux Klan leader uh, that takes place back in, ni- in a racially charged summer in North Carolina in 1971. Uh, it's it, the, this approach, the approach to the movie often reflects a storyteller's good intentions as well as the tunnel vision of a particular cultural moment. Yeah, it's uh, this interesting read here that's up on IndieWire. I suspect Best of Enemies will show up here on the Michelle Mission next May or perhaps the May after next. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you haven't even seen it to already say that it belongs in May I Have Another? there's, There's... and unless it's a completely different film, there is no way that this film is not going to enrage me to the point of cursing at my television. It's just not possible. The commercial has had me raging. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm with you there. Yeah. Speaking of of films mm-hmm. that 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 are out or that we saw, we haven't we haven't been on since we saw Little. Oh no, that's right. We, yeah, saw, we saw an earlier screening of we Little. We sure did. Um, the Issa Rae Marseille, Marseille Martin Regina Hall, yeah, movie that actually opened up just this past Friday. Yep, I opened to number two. I, I remember you and I were talking in the theater, and we wanted it to hit twenty million. Right, and it hit fifteen. Yeah, and it was number two, which which is not bad. Not bad. Not bad for a twenty million dollar budget. Right. So you figure it's it, it'll. You know, and I think it has legs. Money. I think it has legs. I do too. So, but 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 I liked it. I liked it too. You I, know, I liked it. I did like it. Yeah. I, it's 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 very funny. Yeah, very breezy. Mm-hmm. Very you know cute. Yes, yes. Um, I, I I enjoyed it. If if I had to pick one nit about it, it's just that I want more Regina Hall. I know. <laughs> I know. Just the conceit of the movie. Yeah, but I mean, like, man, I just like. Ah! I mean, I love Issa Rae and I love Marseille Mar- Marseille Martin. She's yeah, doing she good, was working fantastic. She is, she is killing it in there. Um, and here's another thing. 
And this speaks to another movie that opened up recently, Shazam. And one of the criticisms of Shazam, which has been doing well in the movie theaters. Right, right, right. But one of the Little critis- was number two to Shazam. Right. Uh, which was in the second week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the criticisms of Shazam <clears throat> is that the, the actor playing the superhero, right. Shazam, uh, Zachary Levi. Yes. Is not because ostensibly he's supposed to be like a boy in this in a, man's body. Exactly. But the boy, quote unquote, that he's playing is not the same boy that is the Billy Batson character as depicted in the movie. Right. In feel and in, 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 yeah, in, no, in character wise. Uh, and that's one of the criticisms. And I think it's a legitimate criticism of that film. Um, conversely, in Little, you feel that Marseille Martin is the Regina Hall character. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Which says a lot for that young girl's acting. And you know, if, if I don't know if you watch Blackish, but she has been a delight since that show has come. Well, around. since it started. Yeah. Since it started. And, you know, it's funny. It's in syndication now. Mm-hmm. And when you see old episodes, you forget just how young those kids were. I mean, the, the whole cast of kids, you know, Yara Shahidi is is obviously the breakout of the kids thus far, and now Marseille Martin is right on her on her tail. Right. But you forget just how young those kids were. Yeah. And it's I mean, they're great actors. And how short they were. And how short, yeah. Like I don't like I haven't kept up with Blackish, so I'm curious to how they've explained Marseille Martin's growth spurt. I think they're just, gro- well, they're, they're actually. As opposed to her twin brother right. on well, the there show. Was, there was an episode where they actually talked about Diane being taller than Jack. Yes. Which was kind of cute. Yes. And and as a twin yes. myself and having a twin sister. Yeah. I know his pain. That's real talk. Yo. Yeah. Because there was, there was a good two, three years. Yeah. When my sister had. She had me. Like I was looking up to her. Man. I mean, you you know, we were all kids. We all remember. Like like what some was it the summer between the seventh and eighth grade or the summer between the eighth and ninth grade where you caught her? I probably caught her seventh through eighth. Yeah. At seventh through eighth, I got even. Yeah. And then by the time we went to ninth grade, I was like a about a good yeah. two inches. I remember coming back from the summer. I mean, I don't have a twin sister, but you know, there were girls in my class. Mm. And I remember coming back from the summer in the eighth grade and the girls who were towering over all of the boys. Yeah. We caught them over mm-hmm. that summer. And it was like, oh, okay. Well, all right then. Yes. So always right in the world. Right. Um and, and one last thing I want to talk about. Um Robert Monroe put, posted a link oh, on our But Little is great. Little is great. Go check out Little. Little is great. Go check out Little. Take your 13-year-olds, you know, what, maybe 12? Yeah. Like how young? Maybe 11 to 13? Yeah. Yeah. Take the kids. Yeah, take Take the kids. kids. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Robert Monroe posted a link on our Facebook group. It's a trailer 
for a movie. Now, according to him, he says, this black sci-fi classic is currently running on brown sugar, (laughs) and I think it deserves the Michelle (laughs) Mission treatment. Yeah. He posted a link to this trailer, Black Star Warrior, (laughs) which is an obvious Uh, bite of um, Star Wars, but bigging up the Lando Calrissian character. That's right. And David B. Maxwell chimed in how in the world did they not get sued by Lucasfilm I know well (laughs) the joke's on you this is a fake movie Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But, well, Robert But even Rowe, that, I thought they would get sued. Well, no. It's, it's, no, no. Long time ago, George Lucas embraced people doing, like, fan fiction of no, his no, no. stuff. I understand that. But as we just talked about, like, 15, 20 minutes ago, Star Wars is a wholly owned uh, subsidiary of the Disney Corporation. And Disney don't really play that. Yeah, but, no, no. See, but Disney, Disney... Here's the thing. Disney itself doesn't play that. No. However, Disney is all about dollars. Yeah. And in buying Lucasfilm, what they bought along with the IP and the catalog is they bought the culture that Lucasfilm had developed with his fan base. True. So I think they were very much... Embrace. And also, like, because Marvel kind of has that same type of vibe with some of their stuff. I mean, you can't get, get crazy with it, but they've got um, that same type of, like, you know, for the most part, we'll keep our hands off of stuff, attitude with things. Um, and I think Disney may be buying into some of that because, as we also previously stated, they have all the money. They have all the money. They absolutely do have all the money, but you know, having said that, I, I, I am, I'm always surprised to see Star Wars spoofy things, if you will, because again, Star Wars doesn't. Um, I mean, Disney doesn't really play. It's funny we're talking about Star Wars. There was this amazing story about Star Wars memorabilia that I wanted to call out, but now I can't find it. I thought it was in Wired about um, a theft in the Star Wars world. Actually, shout out to um, our friend and missionary, Michael Gonzalez, journalist Michael Gonzalez, which, you know, sidebar, if you find Michael Gonzalez on Facebook, follow him because he has the links to the greatest stories ever. (laughs) And this was a story that he posted a few weeks ago. Of course, now I can't find it. We'll post a link on the uh, Facebook page, but there's this wonderful story about the culture of Star Wars memorabilia, and there was a theft and um, repercussions and implications of that theft. But that's neither here nor there because I can't find it. Okay. Speaking of shouting out missionaries, I feel like we would be remiss if we did not shout out uh, Michelle missionary and contributor to our to our musings page. Yes, Mo Poplar. What's up, Maurice? Who was in town? He came all the way from the West Coast. Was in town this past weekend specifically to sit down with Vince and I 
and in in regards to a very top secret project that he is working on. Yes. That he wanted to get our input on. In, and it was a great time. It was a great that time. That we had this weekend uh, hanging out with Maurice. It was a lot of fun. It was uh, indeed a lot of fun. Um, so thank you, Maurice. We really appreci- appreciate you taking a trip out here for we us. We do. We do. Uh, and we look forward to many more collaborations with you in the future. And speaking of musings, ladies and, gen- and gentlemen, Vince has posted yet another controversial musing it never stops because according to vince spider-man ben black spider-man ben black love miles morales but we ain't new to this with black spider-man and vince is going to tell you all about it go to michellemission.com look under musings and then you will see vince's little uh uh essay spider-man ben black that's right for all your reading concern pretty dope there all right, let's get into some Afrofuturism. Let's indeed. Let's go into Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You. We'll be back with the film review soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. I'm just out here surviving. And what I'm doing right now won't even matter. Baby, baby, it will always matter. Thought you said you fixed that. Get a room. I got a room, mother. Hey, Cash. How much longer I gotta wait for my money? God made this land for all of us. Greedy people like you want to hog it to yourself and your family. Me and my family? Yeah. Cassius, I'm your uncle. I just really need a job. 40 on two. This is telemarketing. Stick to the script. Hello. Uh, Mr. Davison, Cassius Green here. Sorry to bother. Let me give you a tip. You want to make some money here? Use your white voice. My white voice? I'm never talking about Will Smith's wife. Like this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer. This is Langston from Regal View. As always, we'll be getting that out to you right away. You're doing so good with the voice thing. Holla, 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 holla. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. You're going upstairs, Power Caller. They even have their own elevator. Welcome, Power Caller. I hope you did not masturbate today. We need you sharp and ready to go. I got promoted. I'm a power caller. What do they sell? They're not selling what we sell. No, there's no amount of money to make me do that. Here's the starting salary. Well, man, I'm gonna have to get me some new suits. Whatever I wear, no, I'm here to be clean. It is morally emaciated. I can't ride with you. I'm doing something I'm really good at. Cash, I'm gonna make you a proposal. I can see that you want to say no, but I wouldn't do that before you see what I'm offering you. Cash, you are awesome sorry to bother you a 2018 american science fiction dark comedy written and directed 
by Boots Riley in his directorial debut. This movie stars Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, Jermaine Fowler, a very unrecognizable Omari Hardwick, Terry Crews, Pat Oswalt, David Cross, Danny Glover, Stephen Yoon, and Army Hammer. It centers around a young black telemarketer who adopts a white accent to succeed at his job. Swept into a corporate conspiracy, he must choose between profit and joining his activist friends to organize labor. This film, released in 2018, would be a darling of the indie movie set where it... um, it won the National Board of Review Top 10 Independent Films. It also won Best First Feature and Best uh, at the Independent Spirit Awards. It was also nominated for a Hugo Award for uh, Best Dramatic Presentation, the Hugo Awards, which will actually take place later on this year. So we'll see exactly um, how it will fare there. Sorry to bother you. Vince's selection for this stop on the Michaud mission as we conclude our tribute to Afrofuturism. Vince, what say you of sorry to bother you? Well, before we get into any conversation about black science fiction and Afrofuturism, it's it's worth just stating up front that this this is an extraordinary debut. From mm-hmm. Boots Riley, it really is. When when you talk about the fundamentals of filmmaking, and and you talk about the 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 skeleton and the framework of what makes a movie good, right? So much of this film is amazing. You know, it's anchored by performances by Lakeith Stansfield and Tessa Thompson, and, and both of them really turn in performances that are another example of why both of them are two of the most interesting young actors Mm -hmm. working right now. But outside of these two main actors, this, this is a great cast. This is a great cast. Steven Yeun, who is an actor who I don't think has gotten the meaty roles that he deserves. No, he's been busy down in Atlanta doing Walking Dead for most of his and career. and you know and and his role on that hasn't really reflected his skill. Mm-hmm. He's fantastic as the union leader, Squeeze, mm-hmm. Jermaine Fowler, who plays Lakeith Stanfield's character's best friend, is great. Danny Glover isn't in the film a great deal, but when he shows up. He shows up. Mm-hmm. He's great in here. Uh, if you listen to our talk back that we did, you mentioned how good Army Hammer is. Yes. In this, and he is. And Army Hammer is so good in this film that this is actually the first time I've really noticed him. Oh, really? You know, I've seen him in things, mm-hmm. but this is the first time that I made note of Army Hammer. Terry Crews, I think. Terry Crews brings a warmth and humanity to this role that he displayed throughout the run of Everyone Hates Chris. Mm-hmm. But it's a role that is sort of absurd. You know, he's wearing this wig and, and everything, but that warmth still comes through. Speaking of of transcending your physical look, Omari Hardwick has, you know, really 
an absurd outfit on with with the beard and the eye patch, but it still comes through. And, and if you've seen Omari Hardwick in some of his independent work, that's not surprising as well. Mm-hmm. The script is razor sharp. Yes. It is razor sharp from the very beginning. And as this is my third time watching this film now, this is a script that really rewards yes. close listening. Yes. And it really does take at least two watches to see this. As a director, I think Boots Riley is is right on right where he needs to be as far as setting up scenes, as far as blocking and staging of the actors. There's the the cinematography is fantastic, which mm-hmm. kind of le- you know I'll talk about that much more in a moment. The plot is is absurd and surreal. But it also reflects this kind of really bright, hot anger yeah. about the system that we live in and about what people are forced to do that, you know, ironically enough, because they had a bit of a public tiff, reminded me of early Spike Lee, that anger, mm-hmm. that, you know, that righteous anger and indignation. So if you get nothing else from this and you haven't seen Sorry to Bother You, go see Sorry to Bother You. Yes. Having said that, we're here to talk about Afrofuturism. We're here to talk about black science fiction. And I am arguing that you can view this film through that lens. Oh, most certainly. And, well, you know, we're saying most certainly, but that is not, uh, that's not a direction that a lot of people have taken. Like, I'm saying it's absurd. I'm saying it's surreal. It reminds you a lot of Terry Gilliam's work, you, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're talking about Time Bandits or more specifically Brazil. Right. Which, you know, you can kind of squint and say, oh, it's science fiction, but it really is sort of the surreal and the absurd. Right. Which there's some overlap, mm-hmm. but you can argue it's its own thing. Yeah. I think there are two aspects of this film that draw me to it as science fiction. The first, and the reason I am kind of defensive about calling it science fiction, is because the first critical conversation I had about this film was with my wife, Mm -hmm. and she didn't see it as science fiction, and because what she said was, and this is the quote that stayed with me, I compared it to Octavia Butler, and and the worlds Octavia Butler creates in something like Parable of the Sower, Mm -hmm. and my wife said, can you call it science fiction? If it's actually representative of what's going on right now. And, you know, what what she got from that is when you look at the when you look at the sort of gig economy that it sets up with with work. Oh, I just forgot the name of not workflow. Worry free. Right. Worry free. And you see how. Worry free is is reflective <clears throat> of companies like Lyft, mm-hmm. reflective of companies like Uber. When you look at the desperation that these characters have trying to make ends meet, I see it as a slow dystopia. Yes. Like yes. it's it's like a yes. slow dystopia in the midst in the midst of this you know this world falling apart yes. that 
frankly we're living in like you look at you know where, where they have the 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 homeless encampments mm-hmm. and and there are parts of you know where is, is that in frankfurt yes that they you know where you have a homeless encampment that looks just like that um again i talked about something like worry free and and the lifetime contracts and 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 is this something that could happen and i absolutely think this is something that could happen and and people are so desperate that they have to resort to these kinds of actions Mm -hmm. just to make ends meet. So I view it as a slow dystopia, but again, the line between slow dystopia and just a reflection of what's going on Mm -hmm. outside right now is razor thin. Yeah. The other part that I think this film captures so well is that in a lot of ways, blackness is science fiction yeah like just our lives yep. are science just fiction. us being just us being and we can talk about the white voice because i think there's there's so much in the way that black people have to navigate mm-hmm. an integrated world that this film speaks to but outside of that there are little details like the way that the the, the vip room was shot Mm-hmm. At the club, which if you've ever been in a VIP room or champagne room at a, you know, a, at a club, that's what it looks like yes. with, with the lights yep. and, you know, all the black lights in, in the bodies. And it looks like something out of science fiction, mm-hmm. whether you're talking about the bicycles riding through the night landscape. Okay, And, yeah, you know, yeah. the boys are on them, which looks like something out of Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. But that's just life. Whether you're talking about the way the graffiti is placed throughout. This is a film that frames blackness as science fiction. And I thought that it would fit really well in, a, in our conversation during this month when we talk about black science fiction. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, to me, it's, it's a no-brainer that this is a little bit of science fiction. If you want to mix in the fanciful or maybe even a taste of fantasy that is I think abounds in this movie as well you know you can but to me it's it, it's a no-brainer it's science fiction and to your wife's argument about it happening now I would offer um orphan black which ostensibly happens now right but is decidedly science fiction thriller Right. You know, so. Yeah, it can happen. It it can happen now. But to your point, like you said, this is you're in the midst. <clears throat> you're in the midst of the deconstruction of this civilization. Right. In, in this film. Right. Where um, it, it it's it's. It's what we all fear of Amazon you know, becoming, you know, we're right. This film is right there. This is, this is two steps beyond. This is two steps into our worst nightmare. You know, take a, take a, uh, 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 take a a look at what, of what you have, you, your worst fears come realized, you know, um, which, at the heart is at the heart of some of the most, you know, 
the, some of the greatest science fiction. Sure. Is, is telling that same story. So I think this definitely lives there. Um, this is what happens when you have a metal table, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you get that, you get that ring. Because um, I know I'm not going to be able to edit that out. Uh, but um, to your point, the, you know, the, the anger in this film that is that that is there from the beginning but is it's it's prevalent from the beginning but it's it's just it's just the engine that drives thing it's it's it I, because i don't feel like the the anger I guess the anger kind of builds towards the end. Right. But that's when the anger has a definite target upon which to throw his anger about. Right. But, but the anger of, of, and I don't even want to just say, just say the, the, the black people, even though that is there, but it's just the anger of, of the people is there, is, right. is prevalent there. And it's just, and it's just, it's just seething in, in everything that they do, even with, even with the people yeah, it's easy to see it in the Stephen Yoon character trying to, you know, rally the troops for to, to create a union and all this type of stuff. But it's even there in the middle management people who are just, you know, just biding their time, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> on this earth, and 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 then you know trying to hold hold on to to just the dream of somebody that might uplift us out of our circumstance as well in the, in the form of Cassius. Right. You know, uh, I'm thinking of the one scene when he does, you know, make it to be like, you know, one of the, the top callers, right? the power call, the power callers. So he gets on the special gold elevator. Uh, and one of the middle management people has to put in like this, like 84 digit code right. to, to, to get him up. And then as he gets off the elevator, you can see her like, you know, like, like just looking like, like taking it all in and also wishing that she could go with him right. on the other side of the elevator, but she can't. You know, like almost like, and she's looking like almost like take me with you, right? You know, as right, the elevator right. like closes in her door, in her face. Um, so that 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 anger is it, it, right there. It's very palpable, um, and I actually like that. It never really pops. The one time it even percolates even a little bit is when Cassius and his best friend had the most polite oh, argument. Scene is so good. In the world, it's one of the best. That scene should be, that scene should be like, like at a, like acting classes. Yeah. Oh yeah. From now on. Yeah. Man. They're so good. In they're so, they're so good. It's so, I mean, there's just such good stuff here and such, and for it to be, Boots Riley's directorial debut. Right. For it to be his original script that is so starkly original. Yes. Right? It it it's it's biting in its commentary. Uh, um it's it's biting in its humor. Yes. And it is assured in its place in 
uh, satire and science fiction and everything. This, as much as people talk about other things that have that have come around in the, in the last few years, this film is like the the marriage of the Twilight Zone and Black Mirror. You yeah, know, come, right that's, there. That's a good point. Um, yeah, but as popping as that script is. For him to be, you know, so assured yet restrained as a director is really amazing to me because there are moments in this in this film, especially once the once the absurdity of, you know, the circumstance starts to kind of like take over the story. Right. There are there are times when. Uh, a more amateur director might go for it then. Right. And like all of a sudden want to show all the bells and whistles of what I can do. Right. But no, he's still very restrained in what he, it, it, in, in his storytelling here. Maybe some of that is part of the budget, but I want to think more of that is just him having a, a tight grip on the tone that he wants to set with this film and and making sure that that rides out through to the end. You know, I disagree with you a little bit about the restraint because my one critique, and, and I, will, I, I will qualify this critique by saying that I've, I've literally gone back and forth each mm-hmm. time I've seen this film. Mm-hmm. I wish we didn't get as much of the horse people on screen. Okay. Like what I wrote in my notes this time is that I wish he would have approached this like Bruce the Shark in Jaws, mm-hmm. which famously didn't work. Right. So Spielberg didn't didn't show the shark as much as, as he wanted to. Mm-hmm. But it became that much more effective mm-hmm. that, you know, it the implication – and I think the horse people con you know concept is so big, yeah, that less is more. Okay, I and feel you. and I, feel I, you. I and you know there there are a couple of scenes where you actually see them mm-hmm. that I wish that we wouldn't have. Like like I wish we'd have you know maybe seen the concept film. I love the scene where Cassius is in the back of the police truck, the mm-hmm. police um, van, yeah. and he's seeing just snippets of what's happening through the bars right. of the window. And even the end where you see something on the security camera, mm-hmm. like that's what I wanted because that that really because the rest of it is so restrained. I feel you because because. When going back to when he's looking, he's in the police van and he's seeing all of the, you know, he he can basically hear right. what's happening exactly. on the other side. And he can hear the tide turning right. as the uh, uh, equestrians, yes. you know, take over the land. And you see, you you hear them taking taking over and then you see them in a quick glimpse through his very tight window right vantage point that he has and that scene then punctuates with him being let out of this circumstance by one of the horse people and you're right you lose a little bit of the of the power 
of everything by his his repartee with that one horse guy right there. Right. You're, right. Yeah. I, I I agree with you on that one. And the reason I hold him to such a a high standard with that detail is because the white voice conceit. You know, this this thing that, you know, black people have to have this white voice affectation. And there's a wonderful line of dialogue in there where where Lakeith Stanfield says to Danny Glover's character, Cassius, Cassius says to Danny Glover's character, people tell me I talk white already. And Danny Glover says, no, I don't mean like Will Smith. That's not white. Yeah. That's just proper. Proper. Right. I mean the way white people wished that they sounded. Yes. So that you get this 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 concept that all of it is artifice. Mm-hmm. Like all of it, race is artifice. The way that we perform race is artifice. Again, back to how razor sharp this script is. The first time Cassius uses his white voice is right after the the group of them at at a table, all black people at a, at a bar at a bar, and Stephen Yeon, who's Asian, are talking about Italians mm-hmm. and whether they're white or not. And one of them comments that they've been white for 60, 70 years. Yes, reflecting that whiteness is something that is socially constructed. Like you know, no one. And then you get this white voice. Mm-hmm. With the absurdity that is Patton Oswalt's voice coming out of his mouth. And it works on so many different layers. Yeah. That I wish that that delicacy, delicacy I think is the word that I'm looking for. Okay. The delicacy that is applied to something that could have just been farce and absurd. I wanted that applied to the horse people. That level of delicacy. Okay, I hear you, but I think that if that had been, keeping in mind that the concept of the equestrians, yes. equestrians or whatever they're called, the horse people. Right. I like horse people. Okay, but they had a name. Yes, they did. <laughs> yes, they did. So get, Does that make me a racist? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So, keeping in mind, so if you're keeping that, the equestrians in here, in this film, I think that concept and their origin story told beautifully in stop motion animation. I mean, just a mixture of so many things in this movie. So good. Um, That concept is so big. Yeah. So broad, yeah. That you know, you're saying that the whole white voice thing could have been played for like farce and everything like that. He could have really gone for it with the horse people. Okay. So, but and I think it's so big that you gotta go. You gotta go somewhere with it. Okay. So so he had to go, uh, and the fact that he doesn't go even close as far as he could with it shows a level of restraint. So you I think appreciate. even that is restraint? Yeah. I, okay. I'll buy yeah. that. Yeah. Like yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'll buy that. I'll absolutely buy that. So but I mean everything I mean this movie is just like cracker cracker jack, man. Now then. Oh boy. 
Speaking of construction of race and the artifice of race and mm. and and references mm-hmm. to, or do you feel like you should address Detroit's monologue at her performance piece? Look, <laughs> I don't understand. What is it with uh, all these millennials? Uh, Boots Riley isn't a millennial. Okay, <laughs> but. Okay, he's not a millennial. He's our age. Boots Riley been making hip hop since 1989. I don't know if he's our age. Boots Riley, the coup, has been making records since like 89. Boots Riley, okay, yeah, he's born in 1971. I was about to say. He's our age. Well, then I don't know what is it (laughs) with all these Hollywood folk. That feel the need to put the last dragon in all their properties. Because the last dragon, again, what is a film about the artifice of race? Let the record show, if you listen to the last dragon episode that we did, which sidebar is one of our really good early episodes. Mm. That's a good episode. Mm. We talked about this. Mm. Back then, Mm. years before Mm. this film came out, Mm. so that it makes perfect sense that Detroit, who, did you hear she had a white voice too? Did you hear her white voice? Yes. I forgot who did her voice. Oh, um, I just had it up. I forgot who did her voice. Lily James. Yes. Lily James. Yes. Who I love, actually, Lily James is, is a quite an amazing actress. Yes, and she has quite the English voice. Yes. Um. Well, okay. I, I, I don't like it. I know you don't like it. I don't. I don't. I don't like. I don't. I don't. I don't like this revisiting of the words of the Last Dragon to now all of a sudden put an emphasis there that I'm sorry, I don't believe they actually meant to have in that movie. I, all right. No. I don't. I so, 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 you know, shout out to Boots Riley for taking that little snippet of The Last Dragon and reconceptualizing it in such a way that it actually feels relevant and powerful in Sorry to Bother You, what feels like just silly and, and insipid dialogue but in The Last dialogue, Dragon. The dialogue that she spoke is actually from a scene in The Last Dragon where they're addressing these issues. Where Eddie Arcadian had tried to recreate himself. I mean, it's what she said. He had tried to recreate himself as some guy who's not from, you know, this little podunk town in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yes, also getting by on her tits, which is what he said to her, which I believe because I'm, I mean, I didn't go and rewatch The Last Dragon. No, but I believe Tessa Thompson's outfit is reminiscent of the outfit that that character wore yeah. in, in her video that right. she made. It's not it's 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 not recontextualizing it. Because that's the same context from The Last Dragon. I just want to, I don't want to, we don't have to dwell on that. I just want to take that moment to talk about it. All right. Well, we've talked about it. All right. 
onward to better things. Onward to better things. Um, oh, there was something I wanted to talk about. Oh, speaking of voices, real quick. Shout out to Rosario Dawson, who does the voice in the elevator. I know. I know. Which I did not know before. And I and also didn't know that uh, Forrest Whitaker did the voice of the uh, equest, uh, equestrian or sapien. Yeah. Equestasapien. That's, that's what they're called. Equestasapiens. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, speaking of of restraint in this script, there are so many, like, I think this is such a high concept film Mm -hmm. that enough, that not enough credit is given to the small moments in this script. Like, I actually would like to see Boots Riley write a rom-com almost. Like, I think the, the moments between Cassius and Detroit I could have watched just a romance between them. Yeah. I could watch a buddy comedy between Lakeith Stanfield and Jermaine Fowler, their characters, like yeah, their Salvador relationship. Yeah, yeah. Steven Yeun's character. I could watch a movie about him going, you know, he, you get, the, the, we infer that he kind of goes from place to place, mm-hmm. unionizing. Yeah. But you get the sense that this character has his own life. Yeah, that we don't, you know, just because of of the film, the the plot of the film, we don't really get access to. No, we only know that he had chlamydia once. We or or, or one of or one of those diseases, right. That you can get, <laughs> you know. Yeah, 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 and and um, the movie pays on repeat viewing because there's a whole like uh, sitcom in Terry Crews's. Family, right? Because when Cass gets his first big check and then is able to, like, I guess, like, pay off the house for it yeah. for his uncle Terry Cruz, he, he gives him the check in the house, and everybody's happy. His whole family is there. His whole family, including the women, are every bit as muscular. Everybody is weightlifting. Everybody's- Everybody is weightlifting, which is funny, but then I also think. Even that is the script showing that people have no control of their lives. Mm. So they focus and control any aspect that they can, which is their bodies. Okay. But worry-free is trying to take that away. Trying to take all of it away. You know? Because by the end, you realize that they have drugged Cassius. Yeah. So... I also like speaking of the relationship between Cassius and uh, Tessa Thompson's character Detroit. Great name. Her parents wanted her to have an American name. The script is amazing. I liked the maturity of their relationship because the the story, the movie, and you kind of feel it coming. A little bit of the the one the tension between. Their characters, right, and the the lives that they live, especially once Cassius becomes like a power caller, and all of a sudden, you know, his circumstance changes. He's making dollars. Yeah, you know oh, what yeah. I mean. Whereas uh, Detroit is very like fight the system at all costs by any means necessary until it's time to sell her art. There you go. There you go. True enough. Um, but but it but they, there there is dialogue about that that, that right. 
economy between them. And they are actually able to address it to one another without it blowing up into like this big thing. Yeah. They're actually able to have a civilized, heated, but civilized discussion about that. As well as when they do their their relationship does come apart at the seams and she is moved to have a dalliance with the Steven Yoon character. Yeah. They maturely talk about that. How about that? Without degrading any denigrating Steven Yoon's character. Right. Without den- denigrating each other. Right. In any way. She's not punished for it. She's not punished for it. Like a lot of it. these films punish women. Yes. Um, they're both upfront and honest with each other about their feelings about what happened and about their feelings about what happened. Yeah. You know? Um, And when it all is said and done, I think the reward of them being honest in that moment is that they can honestly receive each other once again at the end of the movie. Absolutely. And you feel like they've both earned it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love that. That was extremely smart storytelling. Again, I wish Boots Riley would write just a romance. Mm-hmm. Like just, you know, just a straight ahead romance. Yeah. And and because his his sense of character, his sense of relationships, mm-hmm. you you know, you get the sense that this is some um, this is a man who has been in relationships and or or has observed actual relationships because to your point, it felt real. Mm-hmm. This felt like a couple that had been together for a significant amount of time. Yes. And had feelings for one another. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Some tight work, man. Absolutely. Tight work. Absolutely. And we're trying hard not to spoil this film because it is, it's still a fairly recent film. I mean, it's just a year you know, old. You listen to the Michelle Mission. You know, you know uh, how we do. We know how we do, but uh, <laughs> it, it, but it's it's out there for you to still discover, right. ladies and gentlemen. It's it it, it 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 really and like we said, it's a movie that rewards on repeat viewing. There's yeah. so many like little moments. I'm thinking about when um, there is a car. The key stands for like his first car is just a trip and a half. Yeah. Like, when he goes to the gas station, that may be one of the funniest scenes. Yeah. You will ever see. Yeah. Ever seen, <laughs> I need 40 on number one. Right. And he puts 40 cents. Puts it's, 40 cents. But then there's a, a beautiful sight gag as he drives along the street and there's a car parked on the side of the street that somebody has a clothesline going to because they're living out of their car. Because they're living out of their car. And they got a clothesline going yeah. to, with their, to the wall with the clothes hanging on it. It's, and it's just a throwaway little sight gag. It's a throwaway sight gag, but again, this is another moment when you see you're looking at a dystopia. Yes. Because what that made me think of is, it, you know, it's not high art. We've been talking about high art when we talk about, you know, this evening when we've been talking about. But Soylent Green. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. everyone is living in their cars and, yep. and, and they're living kind of, you know, and, and there is no private space because you can't afford a private space. Right. But again, here in Philadelphia, that's right. I mean, how many how many minutes from where we're taping 
mm-hmm. is that? Is, yeah. it, is that 20 minutes? Maybe. Yeah. You know, so yeah. It's funny, but then it's funny until you really think about it. And it's something I didn't want to lose when when you talked about the the anger that kind of permeates even with the middle management because everyone is living right on the abyss. Yes. Like there's this desperation that runs through every single character and and whether it's people signing up for worry free whether it's people going on this game show oh my god where you're just abused whether it's you know again the the vein of hypocrisy that runs through even the activists Mm -hmm. because one of the things that i think makes this a smart film as opposed to just a screed is that Boots Riley does not hesitate to call out movements. Yes. You, you know, yeah. like like to yeah. me, some of the most biting satire is the bit where one of the activists throws a Coke can at Cassie's head and then she completely gets co-opted by the machine. Yep. The next thing you know, she's making Coca-Cola commercials. Yep. So it's all there in all of these characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about the party scene? I mean, in a film with horse people <laughs> and black the voices. Quest of Sapiens. Yes, the Quest of Sapiens and, and white voices. In my mind, that scene was maybe the most on the nose. Okay. And represented Boots Riley's feelings. Yeah. yeah. About hip hop and hip hop's white audience. Mm-hmm. But like the rest of the film, it it's it's amazingly well constructed. Yep. And Lakeith Stansfield and Omari Hardwick in particular really stand out. Yeah. With with that and and you know they the Army Hammer's character at his smarmiest <laughs> kind of pressures Cassius into rapping because he's black and he's from Oakland so certainly he knows how to rap and he can't so he just starts repeating you ready Lynn because I guess I guess you I mean do you have to beep this because it's a quote from the movie like how do you like he just repeats over and over again which obviously isn't a lyric but his white audience loves it oh they love it they and, start going for it hard. And Keith Stansfield and again Omari Hardwick are so good silently because you see a little piece of them dying. Yeah. Because they're participating in this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's um actually uh Omari Hardwick actually has a really cool scene in there in that at the end of that, um, when he has to tell Cassius to go see the Army Hammer character, um, and that's a I think maybe the one of the few times, if not the only time you actually hear Omari Hardwick's only his own voice. Yeah. I think that's the only time. Yeah. Yeah. And and he actually is like, you know, like on some real stuff with him. Yeah. You know, it comes real with him, man. You know, like, you know, this is it. Right. And the great thing about his performance is that you realize that even though you've only heard his voice at this moment, and even though he looks absurd, you get the sense 
that you've known this character mm-hmm. throughout the film, which is a testament to Omari Hardwick's physicality. Yeah. How he's conveyed all of this information and, you know, all of this texture of this character. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great performance. Yeah. You know, again, just top to bottom, left to right. Top to bottom, great cast. Um, you had mentioned around the time of the Oscars that it, like, the, one of the biggest crimes of the Oscars absolutely. that this was not nominated for original screenplay. Absolutely. And you're absolutely, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Um, I also think that, you know, uh, Lakeith Stansfield, especially Tessa Thompson. Yeah. And to a degree, Omari Hardwick easily could have pulled nominations themselves. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I think I, I think I focused on the screenplay because in a handful of aces, that's probably the one that I'd yeah. pull if you made me pull one. Mm-hmm. But across the board, I, I think everything you just said, act, I think the directing... I think every component of this film was as good, if not better, than everything that was nominated. Yeah, and you wanted to shout out the cinematographer who was Doug Emmett. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, it's a fantastic film, and it's a fantastic science fiction film. Like, like, you know, I've name-checked a couple of things. I think this works really well with something like Brazil. Mm -hmm. But I think watching it with something like Blade Runner works in a really interesting way when you talk about I don't know about that <laughs> I think you visually when you talk about a city falling apart you know this kind of image of a city falling apart so mm. hmm um, I, I do hmm. I would swap out Blade Runner only because Blade Runner visually is a stunning movie but I just find Blade Runner to be a slow dirge oh. uh I was sacrilege. Sw- yeah, well, sorry. I would swap out Blade Runner. And you know what I put in as an interesting twofer? What? With this, The Fifth Element. Oh. You think The Fifth Element instead of Blade Runner? Yeah. I think I think I think it, I think it definitely fits it more tonally. It does fit it tonally. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm thinking more um I guess visually. Yeah, uh, Blade Runner probably fits it more visually. I'll right, give you right. that, but I think tonally, I think that would be a better uh, interesting. I think, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, the Fifth Element. I would, yeah, the Fifth Element. I think it's it's interesting that tonally we, you know, you chose Luke Besson and I chose Terry Gilliam. I think it says something. That, well, Terry Gilliam's not Blade Runner. No, 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 no. I'm I'm sorry. I'm going back to Brazil. I think okay. it, tonally. Like I said, right. I think Blade Runner visually, mm-hmm. but I think you have two Englishmen mm-hmm. who, frankly, are probably more comfortable with the implications of class. Yes, yes. And Boots Riley probably has more in common with them. Yes. Than than other. I mean, you don't really see science fiction like this coming out of america that often not often at all and there certainly is some class stuff in here as yeah, well so absolutely yeah it, it definitely fits in tone with 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 that yeah. you're right you're right so would you recommend sorry to bother you I oh think that goes I, without well, saying. well again i i i recommend it twice mm-hmm. you know i absolutely recommend it as a film and you know you you don't want to you don't want to start grouping films together and then you almost by default start comparing them but I feel like by the end of 2018, 
Black Panther obviously just sucked all the air out of every room when you talked about black film. Right. Um, it was Black Klansman's year, you, mm-hmm. you know, Spike Lee's year. And, and, you know, even to a certain extent, something like Wrinkle in Time, when we were talking about genre film in 2018, black genre film. By the end, I feel like Sorry to Bother You got kind of lost in the shuffle a little bit. I think it got lost in the shuffle of those and also Get Out. I think Get Out stole a lot of Oh, my God. Was Get Out 2018, too? Well, Get Out was probably, two, yeah, about 2018 or 2000. That's a good question. Was it 2018 or 2017? Uh, Get Out was no, 2017. Right, right, because Get Out won that the last. But even that little, I think you're right, just that span of time. Like, it's been a remarkable couple of years. Oh, it has, yeah. For, for you, you know, let's say speculative black film yes but i would absolutely recommend this film just as a film but also i would recommend it as black science fiction slash afrofuturism i would recommend it it as good science fiction because i think i mean yes it fits black science fiction actual afrofuturism all of that but i i think unfortunately the populace at large the world at large is very happy to shunt black uh, cinema into categories that they consider not for us. Right. And I I wouldn't want that to happen to this film. It's it's good science fiction. Yeah. Okay. All right. Absolutely. Most definitely. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but don't let us be your judge. Go check out Sorry to Bother You. Uh, it is out there for your streaming pleasure um, at, uh, uh, more than a few places. Yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah, it's very easily accessible. Very easily to access, access. And with Sorry to Bother You, we draw a close to our month-long tribute to Afrofuturism and black sci-fi. Uh, the reason why we are doing so a week early is because the Michelle Mission, we will be taking next week off as I am going on an extremely much-needed week-long vacation. Oh, and he's going dark. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am I am getting out of here. Um, there will be no tribbling, no showing for at least a week for me as I will be bouncing around Disney World with, uh, with my family. Wishing upon a star. Yes, and and taking a hard nap. Um, oh, that's right. Uh, so we're not going to be here next week. However, we will still be presenting something new for you because next week in the place of the Michaud Mission and Spock Adjacent, we will be finally presenting our talk back at the Bryn Mawr Film, Festi- uh, Film Institute when we did our talk back for Jordan Peele's Us. Awesome. So you'll be able to check that out yeah. uh, in place of our two podcasts. Um, we hope you will enjoy that because we, we had a great time. We did. Doing that. We also want to uh, thank each and every one of you that likes and follows us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Show Mission. Email us all of your thoughts and concerns to MeshowMission at gmail.com. You can always find our show available on MeshowMission.com as well as on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, and any place and every place a good podcast be, including Podglomerate. 
the podglomerate network of curated podcasts just for you. Our show is available as a radio show in a very edited form on WPPM 106.5 FM Philly Cam People Power Media here in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection every Saturday at 1 p.m. And you can wake up with the Michelle Mission every Monday at 9 a.m. on WKDU 91.7 FM, the voice of Drexel University. Okie dokie. Vince, enjoy your break. I will. Because I'm out of here. I'm going to come over here and throw a kegger. Just clean up after yourself, (laughs) please. Until our return, he's Vince, I'm Len, and parting we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.